Well, today we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. Um, as three books in front of Psalms. Um, if you're not familiar where that's at, but it's Nehemiah 8. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. It's about an awakening. It's about people who are meeting the conv- uh, coming up against the Word of God and they are feeling convicted and they're convicted of their sin and they're weeping and mourning over that. So if you're turning to Nehemiah 8, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. And then we'll pray. Nehemiah 8, verse 1 through 12. And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padeah, Mishael, Malkahah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Mashalom on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7, Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabat, Hanan, Paliah, the Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so they understood the reading. In verse 9, Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word penetrates, it pierces our souls, it gets around our attitudes and our actions to, specifically to our soul. Thank you that your word brings life, that everything in here is profitable for life and godliness. And I thank you for that, and I pray as we go through your word today that uh, pray for your blessing upon that. I pray that um, whoever is here today, that their lives would be changed, not because of what I say, but what your word says, because you are speaking today. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to proclaim truth. There is only one truth, and that is the word of God. If we choose to listen to the philosophies of this world or what society says, we will struggle in our walk with Christ. You cannot be owned by Christ, as Galatians 2.20 
uh, talk, uh, refers to and functioned by the world. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so you are no longer your own. If you've given your life over to Christ, your identity is in Christ. And so if you are owned by him, by Christ, uh, a wonderful master, uh, you cannot function by the world. As it says in Psalm 119, as should be all of our uh, claim, is that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Every believer in Christ can claim that and live in that. Light dispels the darkness. When I was first gotten saved and I was in my first college men's Bible study back at, in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, my first Bible study leader, they had hauled in a, a big old farmhouse into the city of Lincoln, uh, and it was across from a park, but the living room was huge, and we had, there was 25, 30 men, uh, college-age men. And it was late enough at night that he turned off all the lights, and everybody had a candle, and our, our Bible study leader lit his candle, and then he lit at somebody else's candle, and it just went down through the, uh, down to everybody who was sitting on the couches and on the floors, and pretty soon the dark had been dispelled. Life Light dispels darkness, and so the Word of God is the light, and it dispels the darkness in our lives. And I always, I just, that's made such an impression on me. That's a wonderful illustration. If you're not in the Word, it will be as if you are walking in a thick fog. If you don't know Scripture, you have no direction. If I can memorize Scripture, you can too. If you struggle with that or think you can't memorize Scripture, start out small. Jesus wept, right? That's easy enough. You can remember those two words, right? But more importantly, if you are in in his word daily, slowly but surely, as you're reading it, you will be able to recall scripture. The word brings life. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, as it says in John 10.10, but Christ came to bring life and life abundantly. The word of God brought an awakening to my life. When I was always trying to change me from the outside, God stepped in and regenerated my heart. And that is God's promise to those that would surrender to Christ, that he would take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and that you would be a new creation in Christ. Every great awakening, regeneration is accompanied by a great conviction of sin. Sin is exposed, sin becomes intolerable, and there is deep sorrow over sin. It is an awakening to the holiness of God. Sin that has been minimized is brought to the surface. Sin that has been tolerated can no longer stand under the searchlight of God's word. Sin is confessed. Repentance runs deep. Jesus is embraced. The soul is cleansed and forgiveness is received. And in Nehemiah 8, we will see the weeping and the grief that take place when people are confronted with the word of God and the deep conviction and mourning over their sin is turned into joy. So I want you to note the first thing is the calling for God's word, the cry for God's word. And that is in Nehemiah 8, verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Commentaries tell us that there are as little as 30,000 people there, maybe as many as 50,000, probably a little bit north of 40,000 that were gathered together for one purpose. They were there for that purpose with one mind. If you've read scripture at all, you know that we are to have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, it means that we're, to, we're in the word, we know the word. 
we, under, we know the mind of Christ. It was a time for the public ministry of the word of God. They asked Ezra to bring the book of the law of God. The word should be our lifeblood. It is our filter um, as believers in Christ as we go through each day. Jesus said there is, each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, and what does he say later in that chapter in Matthew 6? He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So we, how do we respond to troubles and trials? We seek him first. Cultures and societies will always change, but the word of God never changes. Changes. One of the pastors that I've been listening to um, talked about how he had first gone into law school. And he'd been studying all semester. Uh, and the class only had one test, and it was the final exam. And uh, he had been studying and studying and making sure he knew the law. And then right before the exam happened, the law changed. And so what, what do I do now, right? Um, so what he was trying to say is that the word of God never changes. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so Ezra is bringing the book. The people are crying out for the word of God. And number two is the confrontation with God's word. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Ezra brought the law to the people. Ezra had been studying. Ezra had been practicing and applying the truths of the text. It says back in Ezra 7.10, the book before Nehemiah, Ezra 7.10 says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. He had been doing this for 14 years. Why Why had he set his heart on this? It says in verse 9 of that same paragraph, right before 10, of course, that the good hand of God was upon him. Do you notice the pattern? He first studied the word. He, he let it transform him. He practiced it. And then he taught it to others. When you teach or preach through a passage, you better be ready to deal on a personal level with what you are going to teach. God will make that happen. You, you want to walk humbly before the living God of the universe, teaching and preaching will bring you to a point of humility. And in verse 3, he says, Ezra read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. This was not some monotone reading of the word of God. In the religion I grew up, The world religion I grew up, it was a monotone reading. It was very bland. Why should I get excited about the word of God? Why did my mom always have to elbow me in the side because I was falling asleep, right? Uh, It was a monotone reading. The word of God is living, and it should get you excited. The religion I grew up in, it, it, it was the blind leading the blind because they were teaching salvation and faith through Christ, but plus works or plus the sacraments, or plus Mary. But it was the blind leading the blind, but it was also the bland leading the bland. Because the reading of the word was bland. It was monotone. There was no excitement about it. It says in verse 3 that he read from it. The word read, or read, in the Hebrew means to cry out, to roar like a lion. It's the same word that you find in Jonah 3, 4, when he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. He's crying that out. 
to those people. And what happens? They repent. They turn from their sin. Ezra is impassioned. As he is reading, he is preaching with passion. From morning until midday, Ezra is putting his heart and soul into the reading. And the people are turning their ear to the word of God. They are actively listening. There's nothing selective about it. These people aren't having a short attention span. I really don't believe anybody has a short attention span in this day and age. It's been said because we have fast food and all this stuff and we want things just like that. Well, I don't have a problem sitting in front of the TV for three hours watching my Boston Celtics. I don't have a problem sitting in front of the TV, hopefully for a shorter amount of time because we have more of a run game at Nebraska, uh, that I want sitting in front of the TV and doing that. The pass passing game makes for a four-hour game. It's long. So anyway, uh, but I don't have a problem with an attention span, okay? People devote them their whole days to... Uh, to that. Uh, I have trouble with just four hours. But in verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood all the elders. Now, uh, a wonderful story about that wooden podium. And I always admire the great preachers from England that have went before us and have preached the word and stood for the truth. One of them was D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He had it set. He was going to be uh, the physician to the king of England. Uh, He was uh, going to be set for life and comfortable. But God continued to work on his heart and just convicted him about the fact that he was seeing people to heal them physically, but they were still walking away uh, spiritually sick. And so he answered the call, and in his first pastorate in, in Wales, uh, he went to a church that was preaching a social gospel where they were more focused on uh, doing things for the poor and all that stuff, and that's great, but they were totally neglecting uh, the, the uh, gospel of salvation and, and uh, the, the doctrines. And he grabbed the wooden podium from the side of the church that had been kind of put away and put it right in the center, nailed it in the middle, front and center, so everybody in their sight line could see the word of God read. That is the importance of of the Word of God. It has to be seen. It has to be read from because that is central. It needs to be read from the pulpit. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people. When he opened it, all the people stood up. The people so desired to hear what God had said through his Word. There was a reverence for the Word of God. They instinctively rose to their feet in honor and worship of God. They realize when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Has any of that changed? When the word of God is read, it's God speaking. How many times do we have to read it over and over again? Um, We are wretched, wretched sinners because we read it, we believe it, uh, we change, and then we we take it right back from God, and we have to learn the whole process over again. Um, But we continue to, we have to be in the word. God speaks through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is God bred. The word of God is God speaks from the word. And then verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Ezra was blessing the Lord by reading his word. They were lifting up their hands as if they were receiving the message. I will never forget, and it's been 18 years, but... uh, when church was down at uh, 
the madhouse now on Center Avenue. Uh, my wife and I were just starting to visit 18 years ago, and Dean Keener was uh, and his wife were standing in front of us, and it was worship time, and he had both hands up in the air, and God spoke to me and said, that is worship, but that is also submission. That is surrender. And so when we lift up our hands and we're receiving the word and we're praising God here uh, with our, our music time, we're also saying, or we should be saying, we're submitting to you, Lord. We're surrendering to you. And so they were receiving the word. And then they bowed low, worshiping the Lord. How low did they bow? They bowed with their faces in the ground. They were getting deep into the word and they were understanding the word and the Levites were explaining that and they worshiped even more. As each day as you get into the word, as you read the word, and as you study and apply it, as you do your daily devotionals, that's where worship comes from. You just don't do worship once a week, Saturday night and Sunday mornings here. This is icing on the cake. Uh, the worship time that we have together, the mu- music, it's icing on the cake. It's the icing on the side of the graduation cake or the wedding cake that I take my finger along, along and stick in my mouth because that's my favorite part, okay? That's the icing on the cake. They were getting deep into the word, and so they were worshiping more. And so as God is exalted, man is humbled, it was a magnification of God, and the people were humbled at that time. They were coming to conviction of God. And then in verse 7 and 8, also Jeshua and all those names and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so they understood the reading. It is important to explain the text. The Levites assisted Ezra in making sure people understood it, The Levites broke down the text into its parts so the people could understand it. It was an explanation of meaning. This act of instruction was a reflection of all of Ezra's hard work studying and practicing and applying the truth 14 years earlier in that span of time. It is an essential part of sanctification that our minds are being renewed day by day. It's all about a relationship, relationship from with me to God, with you to God, God wants that relationship. He wants to hear from you. He wants to grow you in his name. 2 Timothy 2.15 says we are to rightly handle the word of truth. We are to cut it straight with scripture. We are to preach with clarity. Do you really expect if you want to learn the violin, if you just play it once a week, that you're going to get really good? Or if a piano player wants to get really good, that they're going to become great as a pianist uh, by just playing it once a week? You play it daily. You learn how to play the violin every day. So if you want to have victory over the issues in your life and the pain uh, in your past, being in the Word daily helps, will help you, and will give you clarity. The Word of God is not hard to understand. If children can learn it in Awana, and they can understand it, and they can memorize the Word of God, and they can learn how to apply it, then I think we can. Scripture isn't hard to understand. It's hard to swallow. I think of that a lot. It's, it's uh, black and white here. Uh, the Word of God uh, is easy to understand. It's just hard to swallow sometimes. 
Number three, I want you to note the conviction of the word of God. In verse 9, it says, Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. They heard the words of the law. They felt the great conviction upon their lives. They realized that their sin was exposed. People were seeing their flaws. The word was exposing sin. It's as if they had been awakened from a deep sleep. The reading of the truth of the word of God was piercing their souls. People were looking into the mirror of God's word and they were seeing themselves as God sees them. They are seeing what God sees in them and it is appalling. It's like they've been unconscious to their own spiritual state of soul. They are coming under deep, deep conviction of sin. Romans 3.20 says, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Also in Romans 7, verse 7, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. The people are weeping and mourning. They are grieving uncontrollably. They have to be told three times to stop grieving. This, is day, this day is holy to the Lord. Be still. The word of God is piercing their souls. The Greek word for piercing is katanuso. It refers to the priest taking a butcher knife, slaying the sacrificial animal by slitting the throat. The sacrificial system was a bloody mess. I'm not tr- even trying to talk like an Englishman, right? It was, it was a bloody mess. This is not a superficial flesh wound that heals by the time you walk out those doors and get to your car and go to eat. They are being confronted with the word of God and they're having to deal with it. They're mourning and whipping, weeping because they are confronted and they are coming under great conviction of sin. The word of God gives life. So let's turn to Hebrews 4.12. If you would, it's before uh, the book of James. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And this is more instruction on the word of God. Actually, Hebrews four twelve and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It is the word of God. It is the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is the greatest love letter ever written. The same word that convicts you, restores you. The same word that disciplines you, forgives you. Restores you, replenishes you. Psalm 119 and Psalm 19 are great uh, chapters in the book of Psalm that talk about the function of the word and what it does and it gives instruction for righteousness. The word of God is living. Every other book is a dead book. Every other book simply massages the externals of our life. This living book, the word of God, gets to the core. Martin Luther declared this book is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It lays hold on me. Charles Spurgeon, another great English preacher, said, This book has wrestled with me. It has comforted me. It has frowned on me. 
Living is used here in the present tense describing this trait as always happening. It is continually true of the Word of God. It never stops living. Only a living book can give life. Like produces like, right? The Word of God is active. It is energetic. It is dynamic. It is very active. It goes out into all the world. It is always working. The Word of God, no matter how many times you share and people reject, God will use the Word of God. It never returns void. It is always powerful. It is always active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is razor sharp, sharper than any scalpel surgeon. There is no blunt side to it. It cuts deeply. There is no blunt word in the Bible. There is not a dull verse in all of Scripture. The Word of God is piercing. I referred to that a little bit earlier. The Word of God penetrates our outward facade. It cuts through all the excuses we put up. It cuts through the calluses of our souls, all the walls that we have. It cuts to the core of your being, to the depths of your soul. This book also cuts all the way to the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. It exposes our secret thoughts. It gets behind the action to the attitude and the motivation that drives that action. This book is also able. That refers to the sufficiency of Scripture. It replenishes the soul. It is able. This book is able to get the job done. It doesn't matter what man has to say. It matters what God really has to say. We are not going to stand before God and say, well, I said this, or my parents said this, or my friends said this. It's what, what did God have to say? What does God say? It is able to hold court. It is able to preside over your soul. This book is also able to judge. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It is only the word of God that can cut so deep to reveal myself to myself. This book rips the mask off the hypocrite. There is no creature hidden from its sight. What does that mean? Well, that's everybody. That's you and me. Everything is laid bare and laid open before the Lord. There is no fig leaf to hide behind. And it is to the end of verse 13, to the eyes of him with whom we have to do, it is a divine accountability that we would pursue holiness, that we would confess sin, and that we would repent of that. Charles Spurgeon said, there are no dry-eyed revivals. In the days of awakening, the sword of the Lord is unsheathed. The listener's soul is stripped naked, completely exposed before God. He sees himself for how he truly is. His heart is stabbed. His head is pushed back. His throat is exposed. His sin is uncovered. And there is weeping over sin. It is a time to do business with God. I wanted to share a, a video. It's an audio video. There's, it's not a lyric video, but uh, it's an audio video that uh, Lauren Daigle um, put out on YouTube on a Saturday night, and last Saturday night, and I wanted to share that because it just it has a lot of great things to say. I love Lauren Daigle and, and her music. So uh, do you want to go ahead and play that? And then we'll come back and conclude. Calling. 
Um, I thought I was out of sight of God's grace, and God rescued me. 
And so I say to those who don't know Christ as Savior, are you going to turn away and walk out those doors after you've heard what you've heard from God's word and conveniently forget what has been proclaimed today? Are you going to respond or are you going to respond by repentance and faith in Christ and become that new creation in Christ that he promises? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me, there is no other path to heaven, no other way to the father. Peter said the same thing to the rulers in Jerusalem, saying salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men be given to men by which we must be saved. Nobody is too far gone outside of God's grace. Paul said there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word, because your word gives life. And in your word is everything for godliness. Lord, I pray that we would daily look to your word for strength, for encouragement, to comfort one another, to encourage one another. But most of all, that we would turn to your word because it is life and it gives us life. Because Jesus, you have come to give us abundant life. And Lord, I pray as we go from here today that we would um, continue in your word, um, that we would seek your face, face in the times of troubles and trials, that we would seek you first, that we would not turn to alcohol or drugs or, or anything else like pornography or, or f- food, that we would seek you first um, and foremost. I pray these things in your name. Amen. And you're dismissed.